Welcome back to Podcast 60 of 2022. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us the Icebreakers and follow us on social media slash the Icebreakers. This episode is being brought to you by BetRivers.com. For a match bet all the way up to $500, please visit BetRivers and use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support the Oddsbreakers and benefit from us, please visit theoddsbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member and pick any of our winning handicappers to get their premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on Patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Oddsbreakers and become a free picks newsletter subscriber. And I just want to remind you, my friends, we have a consensus plays package as well this package has smaller plays that i make myself that are aligned with the sharp consensus across the gambling spectrum in the whole united states so those are actually off to a pretty good start as well and that's only at 35 dollars. so if you want our consensus package could be a very big winning package this year check out the oddsbreakers.com for anybody that's on a budget. Otherwise, my larger plays are reserved for premium subscribers. We have a great show for you today, my friends, because Rob Pizzola from Betstamp and Matt Landis from Props and Hops is coming on to break down some big NFL games for Sunday, as well as talk about their new website, thehammer.bet. Bunch of sharp guys got together and created a website, including Matt and Rob, and I can't wait to get into their new site as well as some NFL with those two sharp individuals. Before we get into our guests, I just want to remind all free pick subscribers that we now have a Telegram channel that you can use to get your picks immediately right to your phone so you can make the plays before the line moves. I sent out a tweet yesterday showing all the line value that I made from my Sunday morning slash Sunday noon college football plays. Five of six of them moved greatly in favor, and that's why I'm successful long-term. The other one is still sitting where it was at, still a bet that I like, and you can definitely benefit from any free picks that our handicappers are giving out by Telegram. And obviously, if you're a premium subscriber, You have a separate Telegram channel for that as well. So you can get these plays and all this line value at the moment our cappers are releasing them. So please check out Telegram and look for the Odds Breakers Free Picks channel. All right, my friends, we have a lot to cover today because I'm going to get into college football as well. After our NFL segment, I'm also going to get into sharp line movement as well as a teaser for you just like we do every single week. So without further ado, let's bring on Rob Pizzola and Matt Landis from thehammer.bet. Now I'm very excited to welcome for the first time to this show, Mr. Rob Pizzola from Circles Off Podcast and Betstamp, as well as welcome back our fellow beer-loving Matt Landis from Props and Hop Show. You can follow them on Twitter at Rob Pizzola and MLandis18. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Been a fan of you guys for a very long time, Rob Finally got to meet you in person a couple weekends back. That was fantastic. How did the rest of your weekend go? 
It was great. I had a great time at Circa. I think the hospitality there was was excellent over the course of that weekend. Got to make meet a lot of great people there as well. Uh, love that sports book. Wish I could live there and, and be there every single day. What an experience that really was. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you, uh, I, I'd be scared to live there every single day. But yeah, <laughs> it is a... It's a wonderful place, and uh, Derek put on just an amazing show for us all. Just that man is just absolutely high class, and uh, a little humbling for me meeting some of the guys like yourself that I've looked up to for a very long time. So I just absolutely had a blast, Matt. We missed you there, man. I I thought you there's a chance you might just show up, but no go that weekend, my man. I almost did pull the trigger at the last minute. Had some major FOMO. I do plan to be at that. <laughs> particular circa contest weekend annually moving forward but you know what being in la i was able to just cry my way all the way to the beach and just use that as the alternative <laughs> you go just soak yourself in some ipas and you'll be absolutely fine man no that's cool that's cool we had a blast that weekend uh the drive home for to arizona though it's it's like driving through uh syria or or, or like afghanistan <laughs> so it the, the, that last day from vegas is a little bit rough but oh uh, I, I I'll, I'll trade i'll trade you the flight home to Toronto. Okay. I mean, that one, it's another breed. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, man. Customs probably, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. Geez, that's, exactly. That's got to be fun. Well, hey, guys, real exciting, man. The Hammer.Bet, uh, brand new venture for you guys. I'm starting to see it pop up everywhere. What is it exactly? And uh, I guess, who is it for? Who does it benefit? Yeah, I think um, the Hammer.Bet is essentially what we tried to build here is, is something that's all inclusive to all types of bettors. So I consume a lot of content in the space, as does Matt. Uh, we both produce our own podcasts. And what we typically see in the space is that you're either going to have stuff that's geared towards a sharper type of better, or you're going to have very recreational content, but there's no one that's really bridging that gap really well. Um, so what we wanted to do here was build a network where literally any type of sports better can go and find content that is suited to them. And they can also discover stuff that they typically wouldn't you know, be filtered to them through their social feeds uh, in the past. So that's sort of the idea behind the hammer. We've been able to curate 50 plus creators just for football right now, have a lot more in the works for NBA, NHL, um, some other sports like tennis, MMA, so on and so forth. But that that was the vision behind the hammer was just let's build something that every single type of sports better can get some value out of. And if I may add to that one other point that Rob, you've also spoken to very well previously, I think creating content that people can both trust and enjoy is a big emphasis. And one of the biggest things about the sports betting space, it's so much fun. I've had the chance to meet so many really brilliant minds and make some great friends along the way, even led to my career opportunity with the hammer. But something we don't talk about enough is that almost every better who tries to win at this ends up losing in the long run. <laughs> And that's not necessarily a problem. If people are betting responsibly, they're finding entertainment value, there's a sense of community, that's perfectly okay. And with The Hammer, what we're looking to do, tracking creators and shows via Betstamp, is making sure that transparency is there. There are some bettors who are creating content for us who are highly entertaining, and maybe they don't win long-term, and they don't hide that. And then we've got pros like Rob, Hitman, Fabian Summer, among others. And those are some really sharp minds. And whatever the case may be, we're trying to be honest with people and hopefully they can trust and enjoy the content every step of the way. That's what I love about Betstamp. It's such a great site, well put together. It's fast. You know, I, I've seen a lot of other tracking sites, but it, that's really clunked up. But uh, it's really fast. And you know what? We can admit if we're not 
a, a positive sports better, you know, and, and there's bad seasons, there's good seasons. We can admit to that. That's fine. And I, I think the honesty is the biggest thing that's been missing in this industry, right? And places like Betstamp help curate that. And as well, you, you don't have to feel bad about it. You know, you love sports, you watch sports. We're all just trying to improve the, ourse- ourselves. And, uh, and that's why I think this uh, type of website for tracking yourself just seeing what other people are doing you're not going to feel so bad about yourself when you look at other records as well isn't that right rob for sure i mean we know from from industry studies that 98 to 99 percent of people are losing sports bettors in the long run and and that's okay as long as the vast majority of those are just doing it for recreational purposes and it's not a problem gaming type of thing personally what i see in the content space that really bugs me and it was kind of Part of the vision behind the hammer is I don't discriminate against content in the sports betting space. You can have sharp stuff. You can have recreational stuff. Different people who are consuming for uh, consuming content are looking for different things. Some people want to educate themselves. Some people want picks. Some people just want to be part of a community. Some people are just looking for entertaining content where they can get a laugh. To me, it doesn't matter what the reason is. I just don't like when the content creator is misrepresenting themselves. So as part of what we're doing for this, like Matt mentioned, is we are tracking all the picks that are given out on shows. We are tracking the creators. Uh, And on top of that, we won't have a creator pass themselves off as something that they're not. If they're not a pro sports better, they're not going to tell people they're a pro sports better. If they're a losing sports better, they'll make light of that. They'll kind of make jokes about it and they'll let people know and be real with the audience. And I think that's extremely important in the content space. Absolutely. And it's great marriage with the hammer bet because you guys got the odds there. You got the tracking, kind of the whole shebang. I love it. Who came up with the idea, Matt, of the hammer bet? That sounds like something you would come up with. I wish I could take credit for it. I'm probably going to have to pass this off to Rob because I was kind of approached out of left field with just a dream scenario to get on board here. But uh, Rob, Johnny from Betstamp, among probably a couple others had already gotten that idea in the works prior to my involvement. This uh, would really depend on who you ask. I think Johnny, who is one of the co-founders of Betstamp, my co-host on the Circles Off podcast, he would probably take credit for the idea. (laughs) I would say that I had pitched this idea roughly two years ago and it never got off the ground and he just happened to pitch it more recently. That's me, you know, from my own perspective, but it it was just like a thing that came together. Johnny basically pulled uh, myself, Julian, one of the other co-founders of Betstamp together said, Hey, you know, I think that this is a good idea. What do you guys think? Can we get this off the ground in, in three to four months? And we thought about it. We discussed it for literally an entire day and eventually decided that we were going to go with it. So uh, I think it was a collective group effort, but definitely it was Johnny that brought it to the table or resurfaced. It uh, would have been in April or May of this year. Wow, that's quick, and that thing's already up. Well, I guess the credit goes to Johnny for coming up with it, but Rob, great backing right there, great advertising. You know, you guys, I'm very excited because it, it's well, like, written. It's, it's, it's easy to read from what I'm trying to say, um, trying to come up with the right words. When I pull up from a phone or when I look at it from a computer, it, the words are big. It makes me want to come back to the site. I think uh, whoever was your site designer did a fantastic job, Matt. Yeah, and Rob, again, on the co-founding team, that's probably Julian and his team, kind of making it look like almost a a bit of a a YouTube or Netflix type of look, if you will. So while we are the Hammer Betting Network, it's not like a network with 24-7 live content. People can kind of come consume what they want on their own time. And we definitely try to keep it as clean and easy to use as possible. So it's really encouraging to hear, Kip, from your experience that that's been the case so far. Yeah, I can't believe it's up that fast. Go ahead, Rob. When we actually started building the site, 
it was not what the final product looks like at all. We actually spent two to three weeks going in a completely different direction, building it up more like a traditional news site, um, some, something like The Athletic, but more of a sports betting spin to it. And as we started to navigate through you know, the beta that we had, we we're just asking ourselves, like, do people really consume content this way anymore? And I think it was a resounding no, um, especially the younger demographic is more used to being able to stream something whenever they want. So we definitely tried to replicate um, streaming services that are out there nowadays in terms of how things are laid out, how things look. I think we successfully accomplished that. But yeah, like, like Matt said, this isn't a 24-7 live network. It's one of those where whenever you have some free time, you can go check out some articles, you can go check out some videos. Um, I laid in bed last night watching some videos on the hammer as well. So it's just, it's just really easy to consume the content. I think it's well laid out. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great point. Um, Generation Z, it's all about video and quickness. TikTok, right? You know, anything under like three minutes, <laughs> after three minutes, it becomes long. So that's something I'm trying to, uh, you know, reform my old ways and uh, and jump into the new too. So great stuff there. Is there a membership level to this site where like, say somebody wants some more advanced plays, uh, earlier plays, anything like that, or any other types of content that you can digest from a membership perspective? Everything is free to everyone and everyone gets the same thing as every single other person on the site. So it was a goal of ours to make it as inclusive as possible. Uh, it's something that we really wanted. So um, it, it doesn't matter who you are. If you access the site, you're going to see the same thing as, as every, everyone else. Now down the road, obviously we're going to get into some recommendation engine type of stuff. As you consume more content, we will you know, tailor the content that you see to you. I think that's extremely important in products nowadays, but as it stands, when we do put out a piece of content, it gets distributed on the platform to every single person. Uh, I don't want to dictate who can see what, um, you know, who can't see what, so on and so forth. That's not to say that it might not change down the road, but as it stands right now, everything that's out there is free to use and is accessible to everyone. Wow, that's nice. What a great benefit to the public there. You can just see what all the sharper people are doing, get the articles right away and digest it uh, as you please. Wonderful. And definitely love the algorithm perspective. You know, eventually you come into what I want to see. It's going to pop up on my front page. I think that's very important to uh, this industry and uh, for the changing of times. All right, guys. Well, great stuff. Can't wait to read the hammer bet every single time i get a chance check out all the great handicappers that you have on that site what a wonderful venture you have going on let's get on to a little nfl and this is overreaction week is what people like to call it um college kind of already had theirs but um there might be some underreaction too so i want to ask you guys starting out with you matt do you see any games that or any lines out there not saying that you want to bet them but do you see any overreactions or underreactions I feel like I'm seeing more underreactions than anything this week, and that's really surprised me. As you mentioned, this is typically the annual week known as overreaction week across the league, but a game like Seattle at San Francisco really caught my attention, and uh, that has come down off of the 10. I'm seeing 9.5 pretty much painted across the board right now. So even at 9.5, most of the lead-up to this game prior to the Niners playing Sunday and the Seahawks playing Monday this point spread was available at San Francisco minus nine. San Francisco loses as a heavy favorite. They got up to as much as a touchdown against Chicago. Seattle wins outright as a heavy underdog. They were getting as much as seven points against Denver leading up to that game. And yet not only have we seen no adjustment from the market, we've almost seen the line move the other way. So I understand 
why an astute handicapper would take the Niners loss and especially that Seahawks win with a hefty grain of salt. But ultimately in betting, it all comes down to the number. I feel like maybe five years ago, this would have reopened San Francisco minus seven or so. And then maybe we want to lay the points with the Niners. When Seattle won on Monday night after the Nathaniel Hackett debacle that Rob has put on his Mount Rushmore of coaching blunders in the history of sports, my knee-jerk reaction was to look for a way to get down on San Francisco. And then yesterday, this line got as high as 10. I couldn't help myself getting a little Seattle in pocket. So it all just comes down to the number. And I feel like based on some week one results, if anything, we might be seeing some underreactions for a change. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. I mean, yeah, it is painted nine and a half right here. You can see on the DraftKings board, total 41 and a half. But Rob, I have to ask you, what was the look ahead line before week one on this? Was what I mean, I would would have thought that San Fran was over the 10 on a look ahead. I can quickly pull that up. I will say, like, I don't put much stock into what the look-aheads are. And I think when a lot of people are discussing week two or or future weeks in the season, they'll always talk about overreactions or underreactions, and they'll always compare it to the look-ahead line. I think what a lot of people need to understand with the look-ahead line is those are very small limits that very few people are actually betting into. So I don't think it's really an accurate reflector of, of what the market was a week prior, which is why I don't look at them all too often. Uh, for this week in particular, advanced line, I think at the Westgate was minus nine on San Fran over Seattle. Um, I, I mean, people are always like, uh, yeah, is it an overreaction? Is it an underreaction? I do things in a very different way where I just kind of make my line on the game compare it to the book. I really don't care what people are reacting to or or whether people were swayed by a specific performance. For me, it's ultimately myself against everyone else in the market looking at those numbers. So it's hard for me to say this week whether we're seeing some overreactions, underreactions. I think it's actually a pretty decent mix of both. Yeah, If I can jump back in for just a moment, a follow-up to Rob's point about look-aheads, I think that's an astute point about not putting too much stock in them. I do wonder if we're just looking at week one, week two, where even for week two, a lot of these numbers were available for a good chunk of the summer. So there was more access to them than say like week eight, looking at the week seven look ahead line. When we are looking at numbers that yes, the limits were still low, but they were more accessible for a longer period of time. Might those early season look aheads hold any more weight than what we would see later in the season with look ahead lines? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you called this one out great because this is an underreaction to what I guess you would have expected from the line makers and the general public, especially in softer, softer type of sports. NFL is a very sharp sport and the lines are pretty close to where they should be. But, you know, you would have thought that this should be a seven and a half, you know, maybe even seven minus 120 or something, you know, I mean, like just by watching it. Right. But those might have been the old days, too. And so this might be an underreaction in your point, Matt. So good stuff. Uh, the one and I that- get the teaser protection at, at eight and a half to seven and a half. Right. The Niners are going to be everybody's favorite teaser of the right. week. So <laughs> I get nine, but seeing nine and a half, ten for a while, some books even flash ten and a half. That was the point at which I, I couldn't stay off of Seattle any longer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Teaser protection uh, sometimes does show value to the dog there. So you have to wonder if that's the case. And uh, yeah, sitting at nine and a half, very interesting. There's a couple of big spreads here. One overreaction that I kind of have to question here is, well, there's two of them. Dallas, for one, you know, they lose Dak Prescott. They're a very powerful team. We all had problems with Dallas coming into the season. They didn't play much of their starters in the preseason, which you saw many of these teams that didn't play their starters in the preseason falter a little bit with the Colts and the Bengals. And, you know, we can go on and on. But 
I just think this thing passing the seven and a half at home, it's at seven and a half most books. I saw an eight, and I did grab an eight. But um, I, I, you have to think that left tackle situation's got to be fixed. I mean, McCarthy is not a good coach by any means, but this line moved drastically. I think more like nine, nine and a half points, Rob, didn't it? It did. So here, here's one of the challenges I have, and this is especially why I don't like to look at the look-aheads, because most people who look at this game will say that Dallas was either minus one and a half or minus two and a half on the look-ahead number against Cincinnati, which is true. Those were the posted lines at Sportsbooks a week ago. So a lot of people say, well, this is a huge overreaction because now you're having the spread move you know, nine points, 10 points through key numbers of three and seven. Personally, if these teams played last week, I would have made Cincinnati a small favorite in Dallas uh, or at the worst case a pick them. So for me, the move is not as drastic as some people might make it out to be. Then on top of that, you have Dallas lose another offensive lineman last week in Connor McGovern. They already have one of the worst O-lines in the league outside of Zach Martin, uh, lose another starter. That's a big issue for them. Michael Gallup not expected to be back in the lineup for them this week. So they're still very thin at receiver. Now you have the downgrade from Dak Prescott to Cooper Rush. And I think instantaneously, in my opinion, Dallas becomes a bottom three team in the league. Uh, At the very least, a bottom five team in the league. Cincinnati, very misleading performance, in my opinion, uh, in the sense that they had a negative five turnover margin and they still forced an overtime game, which is extremely challenging to do. On top of that, you can argue they should have won the game in regulation. Jamar Chase did catch a touchdown at the end of the game. Uh, They did not rule it a touchdown on the field. Cincinnati didn't challenge. But ultimately, uh, this is going to be one of those games this week where everyone is on the Cincinnati side. It will be talked about as being a heavily public side. And a lot of the, the, the commentary leading up to game time will be how the sports books need Dallas to cover. Personally, I could not bet Dallas this week. Even at the current number, I would still only bet the Bengals. I just think that the Cowboys are so limited now in what they can do offensively. Even if the defense shows up and has a performance like they did against the Bucks last week, I struggle to see the offense being able to move the ball consistently. So I still think the price is a little bit short for Cincinnati. I wouldn't rush to bet it right now, uh, but I, I don't think that this one is like, you know, we're going to see a lot of trends here about week one teams getting blown out, losing by double digits, how they respond against the spread in week two. I just don't put a whole lot of stock into that. Oh, great answer. And I think that if we look at this game right now, seven and a half or eight, if you want to get down on the Bengals, again, there is a pretty solid teaser like for you to consider. Right. And Rob, I, I would like to maybe play devil's advocate a bit, not push back too much, because if I'm ever going head to head with you, then I am a hefty underdog. But when I think about this matchup, as bad as Dallas looked, uh, Joe Burrow took seven sacks week one, the revamped offensive line, not promising returns early on. And we've seen over the years, sacks becoming a bit more of a quarterback stat. So even with better pieces in front of him is the problem with Burrow, especially with a guy like Micah Parsons, Dallas does have a good pass rush, if nothing else to hang its hat on. And then with a coach like Zach Taylor, I know that he's probably not going to be outclassed by Mike McCarthy, but when it comes to needing a guy like Zach Taylor to get a margin against a strong pass rush, how much do you factor those topics into your handicap? Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's all numbers driven. So all of that would already be accounted for. It's obviously a concern. Uh, I think one other thing, like if I was making the case in favor of Dallas, historically speaking, we don't see teams tend to just correct their turnover problem in a week. Teams that turn the ball over three plus times in games, that tends to be predictive of turnovers in in the following week as well. So it's not like Cincinnati's just going to magically keep things clean. I do think that Burrow will come under some pressure in this game, but ultimately 
It just comes down to the fact that I cannot see Dallas moving the ball consistently. They'll try a heavy dosage of the running game behind an O-line that's not very good right now. Cincinnati's front seven is better on defense than it was a year ago. Um, I, you know, I, I just really struggle to see the path to success for Dallas unless they can replicate a similar type of turnover margin that the Steelers did last week. Maybe not plus five, but a plus two, plus three type of situation to come within the number. Yeah, that offensive line was horrible. It almost seemed too easy for Tampa, and that was one of the most yep. boring Sunday night games that you can oh, expect when he's brutal. It's supposed to have been a good one, and then you know you're turning off the TV and watching House of Dragon or something else by the time that comes. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I'm a Cowboys fan, and I considered that. So, <laughs> well, there you go. The Skrill Cowboys fan. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> well, let's get into some games then. Um, let's start out with the Thursday night one, and uh, you know who I'm going to first for this one. Uh, L.A. Chargers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. This line's been crawling up a little bit. Obviously, the Chargers have a little bit of injury woes, obviously, with their main wide receiver in Keenan Allen, but the Kansas City Chiefs come out and uh, really took care of business in Arizona. That game wasn't close at all, and Mahomes was just spreading the ball out, doing whatever he wanted. No pass rush, really. We have a high total still, 40, uh, 54.5, uh, minus 4.5. Maddie. You know I'm going to you, and you're a Chargers fan, so you can admit if you're biased or not, but I'm really excited to hear what you have for this game. For sure. So I try to remain as objective as possible, and some weeks I'll bet on the Chargers, other weeks I'll bet against them. At the current number, seeing Kansas City, now that they've taken on some steam, yeah, okay, It's so down to some minus fours out there. It was four and a half or five earlier. I don't know if uh, maybe there was any promising news about J.C. Jackson. He's the other key piece that has been iffy for the Chargers for this one. Yeah. And and right now, I feel like this spread reminds me of an adage from the late, great David Malinsky. He'd look at a game like this and perhaps think, lay three, take seven. In between, it's a bit of no man's land. Those who got minus three on the Chiefs when this line reopened were astute to do so. Uh, it would take a bit more than four to get my interest in the Chargers without Keenan Allen, as good as Kansas City looked in week one. And from a coaching standpoint, I was intrigued by a couple of things I saw from the Chargers in their week one win over the Raiders. Even though they won and covered, Brandon Staley uncharacteristically punted in the middle of the game on fourth and one from midfield. And I feel like maybe he saw some matchups and just figured, play it safe. This is the Raiders. We've got some edges. We're going to be fine. I feel like going into a better team against the Chiefs and their home stadium, he's going to need to get back to his ways of embracing variance. The Chargers are probably going to need some positive variance to win this game. And offensively, Joe Lombardi, um, you know, pretty much a punching bag for the analytics crowd. He did admit in a press conference after the game that he got too conservative down the stretch. So I'm glad to hear that he's aware of it. I do want to see him actually enact some changes and put Justin Herbert to proper use and stop babying that offense before I really get too gung-ho on the Chargers. So from a betting standpoint, those are some things I'm thinking about. Nothing at the current spread or total for me, but with a total this high, one of my signature props for those who have listened to props and hops over the past couple of years, we're looking at a total right now, 54, 54 and a half. And I'm liking the price point at certain books, hanging odds on shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. I'm seeing as good as minus 125 at some offshores and the regulated market last week when this prop became available, I was seeing for totals in this range in week one, about minus 150. And I'd be good up to that price point. Part of it's a pure math play. A high total bodes well for the odds of more touchdowns. More touchdowns naturally bodes well for the odds of at least one of those taking place from the one yard line. 
And I know that a one yard touchdown can sound really specific to a lot of casual fans. It might sound like you need to thread the needle to get this one home. Why would you lay a substantial amount of VIG? And from a math standpoint, it kind of checks out. But when I look at both of these teams, it also checks out. Kansas City, a couple years ago, coming off their Super Bowl win, was my kryptonite for this bet because they had a great offense. They were involved in a lot of games with high totals, but they had just drafted CEH. They didn't have a great offensive line. So it seemed like every time they got down near the goal line, they were getting stonewalled. Last year, they addressed that issue. They fortified the O-line. They got a lot more creative with their play calling in short yardage situations. Kansas City with multiple one-yard scores in week one. And I, I don't think that's an isolated incident. I think it's building on a lot of progress they showed throughout the course of 2021. And then even the Chargers, at least now with Staley and Lombardi, it's not the Anthony Lynn ways of just flexing your muscles and trying to run into a brick wall at the one. Justin Herbert passing for a touchdown from the one last week. And even in some key short yardage situations, including to ice the game, running the ball on the right side of their line behind Zion Johnson and Trey Pipkins running to the right was not something they could bank on doing last year. So with some more short yardage opportunities for the Chargers to keep defenses honest, I like either team's odds of getting a one yard touchdown in this game, even if we don't happen to see something like PI in the end zone. Wow, that's a that's a sharp prop in my opinion because you do have a high total and this is the pass interference league. Yeah, uh, you know what happens when there's pass interference in the end zone and these two high-flying teams. Very, very possible that's going to happen. So very great angle on it. Love it. Rob, what are your thoughts on this one? I completely misread the market on this one. So when I saw the three and a half, I thought it was more likely to go towards the Chargers. And I was be, be looking to back the Chiefs at minus three. It obviously went the other way pretty quickly this week, created a no bet situation for me. Uh, I do have some concerns with the Chargers going forwards. Uh, Fabian Somer wrote this in the week one takeaways article over at the hammer.bet. Um, but how the Chargers have been consistently underperforming their EPA numbers. And when you look at last week against the Raiders, you had Justin Herbert, a much higher EPA than Derek Carr, 0.46, excuse me, EPA per play higher than Derek Carr. They finished with a plus three turnover margin. They were not able to separate. They only won that game by five points, came down to the wire, or at least was a close game towards the end. This has kind of been a habit for them going forwards, uh, going backwards, excuse me. So I'm not... I'm not sure on the Chargers just yet. I love the personnel. I think Brandon Staley is a good coach, but for some reason or another, over the course of the last year and now one game, they've just not been getting the results to match the metrics on paper. Uh, it's kind of like the opposite of what the Patriots were for so many years where their advanced metrics were not that great, but they continuously pulled out wins and were winning Super Bowls and so on and so forth. So uh, I think the market's kind of settled in a good spot here. Very accurate. Um, wish I would have been able to get a, a Chiefs bet earlier in the week. That That's kind of passed now. So it's uh, it's kind of a no play for me here in no man's land. No, it makes sense. And uh, yeah, it, it was an interesting market because... I think the injury, maybe with J.C. Jackson, even brought that brought that uh, brought that lineup a little bit. So that's very interesting. You know, I was on the Raiders plus four last week, and it, I thought it was a bad bet when I was watching the game. But I was surprised to be in the game. You know, you have three turnovers, and the Chargers have none, and you're still in this game. And you're right, Matt. It's just about how he wasn't aggressive, and that's how you lose games. I used to call prevent defense, prevent the win, you know, as a Bears fan. Oh, great, they're going into cover two, prevent the win, you know. That's what we used to always say, and it drove me nuts. But uh, I think you, you can't take your foot off the gas pedal until you are up multiple, multiple scores. And uh, we'll see if Lombardi does make that change. My number is KC minus four. 
And I was impressed last week, but it was still a lot about the Cardinals and their issues too. So um, I think it's a pretty good line as well. Let's move on to the next game. Washington Commanders. Still weird seeing the Commanders, by the way. Uh, versus the Detroit Lions. This is a minus 1.5. The total is 49 and a half. And I just want to tell you guys uh, before... I get into your analysis. This line kind of felt like a trick. This line almost tricked me a little bit in a way. I, you know, at first I'm thinking Lions, you know, they, they got that all that heart and and Dan Campbell and, you know, and, and then Washington, you know, should have kind of lost to the Jaguars in many cases. But then I kind of think back and I'm like, this is the Lions in a different situation. This is not their backs against the water. They're favorites. They're coming in as favorites in this game. And I'm not a trends guy by any means, but there is a different mindset to teams when you are a favorite or when you're the underdog. And I kind of think about that. And uh, I also think about their quarterback. And now I, the commanders and Carson Wentz, I wasn't high on them this year. I think I had them around seven wins. But what I will say is I'm a little bit impressed by the receivers, uh, Samuel, Dotson, and they didn't even use McLaurin really yet. You know, you know I, was, I was a little bit impressed by that. So, you know, if, when I made my number, I'm at minus 1.5. I'm literally right on it. I think it's close to a coin flip game. So that's my thoughts. Rob, why, why don't you go first? Uh, I make Washington a small favorite in the game um, and probably will make that a bigger them a bigger favorite by game time if these... Uh, injury reports or at least the early injuries for Detroit uh, end up you know sticking around for the majority of the week so we're looking at today their left tackle Taylor Decker did not practice Um, their center Frank Ragnow did not practice Uh, right guard Tommy Kramer did not practice DeAndre Swift did not practice for the team so none of those guys gave it a go today that'll be interested to see going forwards because to me the only strength of the Lions team this year is their offensive line Uh, with that said Philadelphia, who played them last week, had the best pass rush win rate in the entire league last week, uh, which is why Detroit struggled to move until they got into garbage time later on in the game. So I'm just not fond of the Lions. I don't really understand the love. Part of it, I think, is the hard knocks effect. They have a below average quarterback. They have a below average defense. Um, If they have the offensive line injuries this week, I don't see where they're better at any positional group than Washington going into this week. I'm not high on the commanders. I think they're very average to below average football team agreed entirely that they could have lost to Jacksonville last week if the Jags didn't have some self-inflicted mistakes. But to me, the Lions are just still way overvalued by market. Uh, They get the cover last week. A lot of people are going to remember that. They'll come back to the window to bet them again this week. We just got to remember that the Lions are consistently getting smoked in all these games that they play. They find a way to make it close at the end when it's garbage time. But for the majority of the game, they're they're essentially playing from behind and they're getting a lot of prevent defenses that end up you know really making their numbers look a lot more flattering than they actually are so uh i like washington on the money line in this game i've already played it already filled that position anything any injuries to the detroit offensive line would be an added bonus to me um i'm, I'm on the commanders this week oh, okay interesting stuff on the commanders matt what are your thoughts on this i think that Rob put it pretty well. So I'll be a little bit short here. These are two teams that I'm not eager to back. And when I see the opportunity with this line, minus two, minus one and a half, some spots, especially with one market making offshore book already down to minus one for Detroit while Washington's in teaser territory, I'm taking them up through the three and the seven. I just feel like there's a cap as to how much Detroit can run away from just about anybody to Rob's point. They're really good in garbage time. 
I don't expect there to be much garbage time in this game. I expect a pretty competitive matchup one way or the other. So Washington, one of my favorite teaser legs of the week. I took an early lead on Washington teased with Pittsburgh. But if you also like a team like Carolina teasing up or Cincinnati teasing down this week, no shortage of good options to pair with the commanders and a teaser. On a side note, there's a group that hit the over this week, Rob. Was it there on the on this game? Yeah, it was a Monday morning move. Uh, I think that would probably be the Warren Sharp MO, if I had to guess. Um, but definitely a, a Monday morning move towards the over. Saw another move towards the over yesterday. And then uh, seen some buyback towards the under today. I think that's related to the O-line injuries. Uh, DeAndre Swift not practicing for Detroit. Somebody trying to get out ahead of that number. Uh, candidly speaking, at the end of last week, I wanted an, an over in this game between Washington and Detroit. Thought it would open up in the range that it did. Now where it's at right now, I think it's slightly too high with the potential of Detroit missing um, you know, some key offensive linemen there. So I, I think it's one of those situations where it's probably moved a little bit too much. Am I eager to jump in on the under? Probably not. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to the next game. Carolina versus the New York Giants. I'm just giving you guys the best games, aren't I? You know, you got the Lions, you got the Panthers. Oh, geez. <laughs> when it comes to sports betting, it shouldn't matter. Um, I have a play on this game, and so I'm going to let you guys go first to see uh, uh, where we line up. Uh, Rob, why don't you start on Carolina versus the New York Giants? I wrote two and a half, but I see it down to two now. Um, total 42.5. Let's go by, let's go by minus two with a total of 42 and a half. Uh, I'm at a pick them for this game. Um, probably I would, if I had to guess lower on the giants, uh, than everyone else in market, good win for them last week, obviously trailed for the majority of the game. They were able to come from behind. I still think that this is going to be an offense that really struggles and is going to be one dimensional for a large majority of the year. Now, Carolina is not great at stopping the run. Um, they did get shredded on the ground last week by Cleveland, but I do think that they are going to key in on the run against New York and force Daniel Jones to beat them. I just don't think Daniel Jones is capable. We saw two big mistakes from him last week. Uh, one was a blindside hit that turned into a fumble. The other was an interception in the red zone. I think think he's still too much of an, a mistake-prone quarterback to trust him in, in some type of favorite role, even if it's only laying a few points. On the other side of things, I think Carolina might get a break here. We're going to see if the Giants' pass rushers are back this week. Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't play last week. Uh, a couple of outside linebackers for them injured going into this week, and we'll see. Uh, I believe they were both both got in a limited practice today, but that should take a lot of pressure off of, off of Baker Mayfield. I mean, last week, we look at you know the big matchup advantage that the Browns had against the Panthers with their edge rush on the outside. Uh, Iki Okonu on the left side going up against Miles Garrett. It's a lot easier when he doesn't have to face Miles Garrett. I do think that Baker Mayfield will be able to move the ball a little bit more. The Giants also missing one of their starting cornerbacks in Aaron Robinson. He had an emergency appendectomy yesterday as well so he's out this week I think that factors into the equation as well because uh, I think Carolina's wide receivers match up nicely against this giant secondary so um, it's a Panthers or nothing type of game probably would play them on the money line rather than taking the two points that's just how I prefer to play them although both you know you can make an argument for both but I do think that the Giants are a, a little bit of a fraud all right Matt do you agree with some of the stuff that Rob said yeah, it's tough to disagree with any of that. My play is a look at Carolina in a teaser, naturally. And I don't mean to make it too robotic. Oh, it's a two-point underdog, of course. Cross through the three and seven. Yes, that's naturally where my eyes are drawn first, just about any time we have an underdog in this range. But specifically with this matchup, 
I feel like two plays that we saw that both teams had very little control over last week could have flipped the favorite for the game this week. The Giants winning because Tennessee misses a field goal from inside of 50 yards on the final play of the game. And then Carolina losing because the Browns new kicker bangs one in from 58. That looked like it could have been good from 68. So two special teams plays with a lot of variance. I feel like if Cleveland misses from 58, Tennessee converts from inside of 50. The Panthers are the 1-0 team. The Giants are the 0-1 team. And we could very well see this line at pick him like Rob said he makes it or even perhaps Carolina favored. So I feel like teasing this game up, I'm paying for six points. And in effect, I feel like I'm getting a decent bit more than that. Yeah, I definitely love the teaser on Carolina's side with this total here. And uh, their teaser hit on both sides of their game against Washington last week. But I'm going to disagree a little bit. And I hate disagreeing with sharp people, but that's what the show's about. You know, we have disagreement. Yep. I have a play in the Giants. I took it at one and a half. It moved up to two and a half, but it kind of came back down a little bit, probably with that injury news to their cornerback, like you mentioned there, Rob. I'm playing on the coach here. And you know what's so funny? All these narratives really got completely destroyed, like – uh, new coach against uh, uh, a well-renowned coach like Belichick, right? You know, well, Belichick got destroyed last week. So it's funny. I, nobody talks about these trends and stuff when it doesn't work out for them. But what right. I will what, what I will say is I'm looking at the coaches here. And I even though Matt Rule's been a coach for a while, I, I just don't believe he's an NFL coach. And I think he makes some terrible adjustments. Um, I don't like Carolina's offensive line. I think they're bad. They allowed four sacks last weekend, and I know Baker had to try to come back, but a lot of their points were scored in the fourth quarter with a lot of the prevent stuff last week. I also think that Carolina's defense is bad, allowing 217 yards on the ground to Nick Chubb. What shocked me about Brian Dayball is I didn't think he was going to use Saquon Barkley so well because of his time at Buffalo. I mean, it's not like people were drafting uh, Devin Singletary on their fantasy leagues, you know, or or Moss, right? They weren't. And um, all of a sudden, you know, they come out for 200-some rushing yards against the top rushing defense all of last year and the Tennessee Titans. So it's like... Who did the Titans lose on defense? You know, it makes me kind of question. It's like, how is this so bad? Maybe it's just the week one woes. But I think there's a mismatch in the trenches. Um, and I know that, uh, you know, there's definitely some skill on the receivers, just like you pointed out, and they might win some matchups there. But it's still Baker Mayfield throwing. It's still Baker Mayfield coming into an offense that he's quite not used to. And I'm just betting on the coach here. So it, it might be a coin flip. But, um, you know, I'll take the home team with the coach. And I did lay a couple stars on it, Rob. So, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's fair. I'm not a Matt Rule fan. I think he made a big mistake firing his OC last year. Um, I, ultimately, that is one that I'm I'm willing to admit. I'm scared of the coaching matchup in this. But I, I do think that there's some things that Carolina will take away and learn from last week. Like Christian McCaffrey had three touches in the first 25 minutes of the game last week. Uh, I don't know the reasoning for that. I'm sure they'll rely on him a lot more, especially you look at the Titans. Uh, Dontrell Hilliard was like a great pass catcher in the open field. I can't imagine the Giants are able to cover CMC in the open field this week. So I, I think there's some valuable takeaways from last week's game. Can Matt Rule implement those? I have no idea if that's the case or not. But uh, certainly I would agree that that would be a concern for anyone backing the Panthers. All right. Well, fair enough. Let's move on to the final game that we're going to talk about, Miami versus Baltimore Baltimore minus three and a half the total is 44 and a half I'm very close to a play on this guys I'm gonna see if you can talk me on or off it Matt why don't you start first 
All right, you're not going to get too much of a nudge from me one way or the other on this one. I think with Baltimore, you know, if they were still at three, I'd be inclined to look their way. But I I think that at three and a half with some injuries they suffered uh, last week, lost a left tackle, lost a cornerback. It seems like they just can't escape the injury bug. I still like them a lot. I want to look their way. But with Miami, as much as I am, you know, part of me, uh, I I just think maybe the fan in me um, kind of wants to see Tua struggle a bit because there are so many comparisons <laughs> to him and Justin Herbert. And I just don't even know why we're comparing them. Like, here we go. We here we comparing? go. Yeah. Should we be comparing <laughs> apples and oranges? But at the same time, I know that Tua had a big pedigree and, uh, you know, he, he seems like somebody who really objectively, I would like to see him succeed. I know a lot of the metrics, um, on one hand can make it out to be that he can't throw downfield and he just really leaves a lot to be desired. On the other hand, this year with a more offensive minded coach, of course, with Tyreek Hill, um, some fortification along the offensive line. I don't know that he's going to make a lot of throws that will wow people on video, but I think he can be effective enough within the framework of this offense. So it's just a team where the jury's really out for me. I don't have the best read yet on Miami, uh, Baltimore with their injuries and pumping the brakes just a little bit. So I kind of feel like this number is in the right place right now. All right, Rob, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm in a similar spot here. I think it's just very difficult to lay the points with the Ravens due to the injuries that Matt mentioned. And obviously, they're still missing Marcus Peters as well. So that essentially leaves them with with Marlon Humphrey in the secondary against a pretty talented group of receivers for the Dolphins. Now, ultimately, the quarterback has to get them the ball. They only scored 20 points last week from an EPA and success rate on offense. They were much better than a 20-point output, but they only ended up putting up 20 points. Part of that was just Tua made some bad throws along the way. And I think that this offense has a a ton of upside if Tua can just hang in the pocket. But the second he kind of has to move his feet, you see the inaccuracy, you see them struggle a little bit. So I kind of just don't want a piece of either team right now. Um, If Baltimore was fully healthy, I'd certainly be considering them here. But no idea if Ronnie Stanley is going to be back at left tackle. That's a major concern. Um, obviously because they'd be down to a third string left tackle there with Jawan James um, being out of the lineup as well. So it's kind of a game that I really hasn't been on my radar this week um, in terms of side or total. One more thing to add, if I may, Kev, then we'll hear where you're leaning. Last year in primetime, Miami just blitzed the brains out of the Ravens and there was no adjustment in game. And now I've got to think that Baltimore is going to be better prepared for that. If they've got some injuries up front, it might limit their ability to combat the Dolphins blitz. But that's another area where I feel like we can watch and learn a lot from this. It's one of the marquee matchups of the whole week, and we're getting in the early window on Sunday. So very interested in watching this game, just not sure where there might be value betting it at this stage. I'm really glad he brought that up, Matt, because that was the first thing that came to my mind was how Harbaugh got out coached by Flores last year in that game. You know, it, it, I was, I, it was tons of blitzes. It was, it was a lot of press coverage and stuff like that. And I was shocked to see it. But, you know, you have to also say that Baltimore had massive injuries. But so far this year, like Rob pointed out, it's like they're kind of going right back into the injury bug here. This line really bugs me. It bothers me. Um, uh, Both of these teams, I thought, underperformed last week. You know, I thought the Jets were just so bad on the offense. I I, I just thought that there should have been a little bit more of a blowout. I mean, the Jets did outgain them. Now, a lot of that was garbage, but it was still a lot. You know, there's still a lot of yards there. And uh, the Ravens' defense is, is kind of suspect to me. And the Kyle Fuller injury is bad, especially when you have guys like Jalen Waddle right there. You know, it's uh, 
Uh, two amazing receivers. Tyreek Hill and Waddle could be the best dynamic duo this year. You don't know. And just we'll see how good Tua is. You know, we'll see how good McDaniel is, too, because, you know, uh, Shanahan really touted him. And uh, I wasn't sure what to believe. I came in kind of like a little bit down on Miami. I'm still a little bit down on them, but I'm a little bit more down on Baltimore, too. It almost feels like that with an offense like Miami, if Tua just pulls it together, they can backdoor this at any moment. Um, Juwan James, yeah, tearing his Achilles, it, it, that is not good. I, I just... Uh, uh, here's Ronnie Staley might be back, Ronnie Stanley, which is which I think was in 2019 a Pro Bowler for the Ravens, and uh, he should fit in at left tackle. But the dude hasn't played in 28 games, so it's like he could be rusty. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a strong lead. I'm gonna lean to the Dolphins, and uh, and, and I'm gonna think more about this and keep watching the reports. So that's the that's where I was close. I was close to the Dolphins, but you guys didn't have a side. But uh, before we go, are there any games or plays that you guys want to give out on this show? Uh, we'll start out with you, Rob, before uh, we say goodbye. So far, we so we've talked about two games where we've covered my bets. Uh, I mentioned that I played the Bengals as well. So I think th- those are the three bets I've made so far this week, which are Panthers, um, Commanders, and Bengals. So nothing else so far on my radar. I mean, obviously, I have some buy points for some specific teams don't know that I can stomach the Titans against the Bills on Monday Night Football as much as that line is now calling my name. Not sure I want to have a ticket against Buffalo. That's pretty much what's been on my radar. So I'll throw it over to Matt, uh, but not, nothing else immediately stands out to me. Sure. And similarly, between a lot of the teasers, the Thursday night prop, uh, the Seattle number that's no longer available. So we don't need to belabor the point there. If it does tick back up to 10, then I would take the points with the Seahawks. One other prop, if I may, um, bringing the the props and hops element into this as we wrap up. Um, A game we haven't touched on yet, but Arizona at Las Vegas. I'm waiting to see where Kyler Murray's rushing yardage prop opens up. Last week, I played him over 32 and a half. It ended up closing in the mid-30s, and it was a loser. He settled in at 29 yards, but he got to 29 yards pretty quickly, and I think he was a victim of game script. Once the Chiefs were so in charge of that game for pretty much the entire second half, why bother exposing him to any injury risk? And early in the season, I feel like if a lot of these props are posted using, you know, career averages, just looking at number of games played, number of rushing yards, early in the season, we tend to see a healthier Kyler Murray because with his size and stature, it's been tough for him to hold up over the course of 17, now 18 weeks. Week two, still healthy by all accounts. I expect a more competitive matchup. So if he's at 29 yards early in the second half, I don't think he's going to stop short of the mid-30s this time around. I know the Raiders have taken some steam, but I just expect a more competitive matchup than the Cardinals gave the Chiefs last week. And also with the Raiders' pass rush with guys like Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, if they can get Murray off his spot, he's fully capable of fighting fire with fire. So if we see Murray open in the range of 34 and a half, 35 and a half, then I'd look to play his rushing yardage prop over. All right, good stuff. I love it. Um, yeah, that's just another almost overreaction, seeing how bad the Cardinals fell, you know, that point spread really took off on them. Um, and do the Raiders have a home field advantage there? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't give them much, maybe a half point or something like that. So that's interesting, and that game's really interesting to me. And so I'm going to be watching, you know, see if J.J. Watt's going to play and a couple other guys. 
you know, coming into this game before I make more decisions. I guess I got lucky, Rob, picking like a lot of the games that you're on. So how about that, man? Just uh... I, I, I saw the script. I saw the script beforehand with the games. I'm like, perfect. You know, this guy pick pick the ones I wanted to talk about, anyways. Awesome. I'm gonna give one quick play, and I'm taking the first half under for uh, Buffalo versus the Tennessee Titans. Um, it, it's at 26 in some books. It's kind of creeped down to 25 and a half, and uh, I luckily grabbed it at 26. It's a 49 and a half total the last time I looked and the way I look at it is like well Buffalo their defense was way better than I thought and uh you know was it a lot of Matt Stafford those guys were covered when they went and played that game at LA I think it was a fantastic defensive performance but at the same time the Tennessee Titans they're that team last year that really just got up for the big games they beat a lot of the top teams almost all the top teams last year and then they faltered against the, the bad ones I think they fixed their rushing defense a little bit and uh, I do think that Buffalo is going to eventually get their points, but this is their second road game in a row. Um, and uh, I believe that Tennessee is going to at least have the defense enough to stop them in the beginning because these teams have kind of faced each other every single year. So I think 26 is a little bit too much, and I kind of like it down to 24 and a half. So that's my thoughts um, for a first half play. Sometimes you got to jump in the derivatives. Any comments before we go? I mean, Credit to you. You have some serious balls with any Bills unders. Um, I will say, I mean, great defensive game plan from them against the Rams. They did not blitz a single time in that game. If you look at Matt Stafford historically, he's very good against the blitz. He's very bad when there's no no blitz. So he just could not find the open receivers. Buffalo played a ton of coverage and they were able to get home against the bad offensive line and, and really generate a bunch of pressure there. Uh, interesting to see what the game plan will be against Tennessee, but it's very obvious to me that that Bills team is extremely well coached. You just don't see teams come into a game plan where they say we're never going to blitz or uh, we're always going to blitz or whatever. And we, we're starting to see more of it nowadays, but uh, that to me was just an A plus game plan. Um, if they put together a game plan that is, you know, catered to taking, you know, the strength of the Tennessee Titans out of the game, which would probably be their running game. Um, I, I could totally see that, but man, that Bills offense is scary when they get going. They like they they thirty one to ten twenty one point win is extremely misleading um, because they they just absolutely shellacked the Rams last week. And I said that wrong. The Bills are at home, but that almost makes me like it more. This could be like a goose egg type situations if that defense shows up. So I see a couple different ways it can hit. Well, guys, thank you so much for your great information. Really enjoyed having you both on. Where can our listeners get your great information in media, starting with you, Matt? Sure. So I would encourage anybody listening, if they've enjoyed this conversation, to check out thehammer.bet. Follow us on Twitter at thehammerhq. And I've moved over my podcast, Props and Hops, to the Hammer Betting Network. So new this season, going twice a week with Props and Hops. One show on Wednesday, I'm about to hop on and record with pro better Fabian Summer. We're calling it Between the Lines. It is within the Props and Hops family, so people can still get it on the Props and Hops YouTube channel as well as the podcast feed. But we're basically looking at the biggest NFL line moves from the books that take the biggest bets and getting inside the mind of a pro better when it comes to reading the market. So those are fascinating conversations with Fabian, who goes by Suma on gambling Twitter. And then Friday's the flagship show. Really focusing on the props this year, another co-host, Pro Better Hitman, who knows props about as well as anybody that I've ever come across. So if nothing else, just tune in for great insights from Suma on Wednesdays and Hitman on Fridays on Props and Hops. Wonderful stuff for sure. Rob, where can our listeners get your great information? Absolutely. Same thing, hammer.bet. 
Uh, I host primetime lead-in shows on Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football, as well as a halftime program where we break down the second half of those games. I do have a podcast that comes out on Monday mornings called Forward Progress, where I recap the entire week of the NFL. I look ahead to the following week as well and kind of try to guess where the lines are going to move. And then Sunday mornings, which is kind of you know my f- big show or the flagship show, 11 a.m. Eastern time, uh, you can check me out. I go live. I preview every single game on the Sunday board, top to bottom, rotation number order. So you can check that out at the Hammer. And also for those looking for a line shopping tool or to track their bets, obviously download BetStamp or you can check out the site, betstamp.app. Awesome. Make sure you guys check out Rob and Matt. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, thanks for having yes. us. Now it's time for our refuse to lose teaser that started out bad, 0-1, like many other teasers. Last weekend, we are going to go to two totals that are somewhat small. We're going to go to the Saints, total about 44. They're home dogs, plus two and a half. You know they play Tampa close every single year. As long as Jameis can keep the picks from hitting, which he has been lately, I think that they have a good chance to not only win this one outright, but possibly backdoor this. So I'm taking the Saints up to eight and a half. Michael Thomas is going to be playing. You know that. Alvin Kamara. And then we're going to take the Steelers. Steelers to plus eight. Total of 40. I do like the over in this game a little bit, but I definitely like the Steelers plus the eight points. The only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning. All right. So my official plays for the NFL are the Giants minus two-ish. Try to get a one and a half if you can. And Tennessee versus Buffalo under. First half under 26 25 and a half. I like them both. Do that for 2.5 stars a piece. Let's get into a little college football now for the weekend. College football week three. So in college football, there's not a ton of marquee matchups here. Okay. With Nebraska faltering, firing Scott Frost. Georgia's playing South Carolina, favored by 24.5 on the road. Hardly call that a marquee matchup. BYU-Oregon's pretty good. I'll talk a little bit about that. Penn State-Auburn. I think I... Do I have that to talk about? I don't have that to talk about, but I also have a premium play on that one, so I'm not going to divulge too much on this. All I can say is that uh, Auburn had an interesting game last week against San Jose State. And Penn State, uh, that first game against Purdue was a little bit suspect. So pretty interesting and a low spread on this one. Louisiana Monroe's playing Alabama, so a 50-point spread on that one. Yep, nothing marquee there. Toledo at Ohio State. This is a little interesting. (laughs) You know, little. Toledo's a pretty good MAC team, I think. Um, Big spread, 31-and-a-half. That's pretty massive. Akron versus Tennessee. Nope. (laughs) Heck to the nope. Pittsburgh versus Western Michigan. No. Washington State versus Washington's kind of interesting itself. I made a play in the total on this one, but that number is long gone now. We have Louisiana Tech is at Clemson, so nothing big there. UTSA at Texas. Find that interesting. That's only a... 12 and a half point spread against UTSA. You know, UTSA is a darn good team for Conference USA, I think. They really have a pretty high-powered offense. 
Texas total kind of tells you that because it's 60 and a half. I thought Texas's defense really stood up against uh, Alabama in some spots, though. My spread's not far off this one. I think it's at, uh, and I'll tell you right now, there's a reason why I'm not covering this game. It's at, it's minus 10, okay? So Texas is at minus... Nope, I'm actually minus at 12.5. I'm exactly minus 12.5 if you give Texas the full three for a home field advantage. So literally on this number. Miami versus Texas A&M is an interesting game. That's, I guess, uh, maybe the biggest game you would say. And it's number 13 Miami against number 24 Texas A&M because that stinky loss against App State. Here's the thing. Do you really want to fade Texas A&M after they lost to App State? <laughs> they have to be so desperate. Although my number says to fade them, I my number's three and the spread's five and a half. I'm just not necessarily sure I'm ready to jump into something like that. You know, Miami, yeah, they looked okay against Southern Miss, 130 to seven. Southern Miss had some injury woes. So not like Miami destroyed them. I could see them getting stopped. It's totals at 44 and a half. Not laying points for sure with Texas A&M, but that's a low total. But I do have a couple plays for you, and we're going to go to the Nebraska hosting Oklahoma around 11, 11 and a half. Totals at 65. This play is not only situational, it's just also based on straight power. Did Nebraska look terrible in their last two games? Yes. Yes, they did. But who has Oklahoma beating? Right? Who, who did they beat? <laughs> you know? I know Scott Frost was fired, and they lost to Clay Helton, who marched up and down the field at Nebraska. But Southern found a weakness and kind of exploited that. When a coach gets fired, it's a betting spot. It is. It's a betting spot. The reason it's a betting spot is because the kids that play on this team know if they suck this next game, people are going to say it's the kids. I mean, if you were playing for that team, would you let them walk all over you so it, it looks like you're the problem? This is a human psychological factor that I use in my handicapping. I mean, you have to. They're going to step it up this game. And you have to look, look at the fact that Nebraska was at least in both games during their losses. All those losses last year, they should have won. Those were one-score games. They had a one-score game with Oklahoma and outgained them last year. Okay? So what has Oklahoma done with Brett Venables? to go on the road and lay double digits like this, like they're Alabama or something. Well, they beat up UTEP and Kent State. Well, both at home. Big freaking deal. My power ratings have this game only about five points. It says Oklahoma minus five. Am I super comfortable in Nebraska? No. That's why I'm making it a two-star, even though you have a massive six-point difference from my power ratings i probably should make it three but i'm gonna sprinkle this money line you know i'm taking the smelly dog here and i think they might even win outright take nebraska two stars and i like this play all the way down to probably seven and a half you're gonna need a bigger boat all right big one here smu versus maryland maryland minus three and a half total 73 if you like offense you might Want to tune into this game? Maryland is a team with some uh, serious talent on offense. They got veteran Talia 
Tagovailoa leading the way. This team averaging over 43 points per game. <laughs> that was last year. Sorry, no, that's this year. Last year, they were over 30, I believe. But their defense last year gave up thir- over 30. You know, so they played some really weak teams so far. And uh, the same can be said about SMU, you know, but they also have their veteran quarterback and Tanner Mordecai coming back. They rank fourth in all of the FBS in tempo, averaging 45 points per game, gave up over 28 points per game in an easier conference last year. See what I'm getting at? This can be a shootout. Last year, Maryland has scored over 35 points five times in their games. Big Ten's pretty tough, so you got to give them some credit. While SMU did it eight times. Both of these teams will be playing at a very fast pace and racking up the score. Both teams rank in the top seven in yards per play. I do not think it's going to be a full game to get to this 73. I really think that both of these teams could get into the 40s. I would not be shocked if this is something like a 47 to 42 type game. You know, maybe even 50s. I like the speed. I like the offense. I'm taking the over. I gave it out at 69 and a half right after that, about an hour or so. It went up to 73. Over 73 for two stars is the play. Now we're going to get to Patrick Backus's request, and I did cover this slightly in the earlier podcast this week, Fresno State versus USC, plus 13 and a half, total 73.5. You know, it says what uh, USC has kind of done. You know, it's like, well, it started out big, this spread, and it kind of inched down a little bit. Let me see where it's at at this time, because I did write this down. Yeah, 12 and a half, 74 is the total. It's just a massive total there. You know, so when I look at this game, I think about how USC has now an offense finally with Lincoln Riley. It's wonderful. It worked for them in the Big 12. Nobody played defense there anyway during their reign, during the Lincoln-Riley-Oklahoma reign. But they still haven't played a top 50 opponent, you know? So even though they put up some serious points, Stanford was bad last year. And it's weird. Their tempo only ranks 108, but I think that's because they were probably blowing some people out and slowed it down at the end. It's too early to completely look at tempo without knowing other issues about new coaching new coordinators and what they did last year you got to factor in the tempo last year especially this early as long as it's the same consistency with the coaches but USC and their easy opponents still gave up over five yards per play 28 points to Stanford Fresno themselves play as plays at an average pace but they returned a lot of production they're my pick to win the Mountain West this year so I think they, they can score uh, they showed up against the Pac-12 last year. They won both of their games. Now they had a very close loss to Oregon State and will be in complete upset mode when they go to USC, in my opinion. Fresno State runs the ball very well, ranking 13th in rushing success rate so far, while USC only ranks 105th in defensive rushing success rate against those two easy teams. There's a mismatch here which makes me lean to the under. And I also think that Fresno will want to slow down this game. They're not going to let USC 
score all those points. I mean, obviously, if USC jumps them, that could change. That's why I'm not betting the under. I'm going to lean the under because of it. If this thing gets out of hand, I will be betting the under. But my power rating has this as a 10-point spread for USC. I took it a while ago at 15.5. I like it at 13, more than 12.5. So shop around. I think it goes back up. I'd wait on it if I was you. But we'll take Fresno State plus the 13 uh, for two stars. And there is some books showing 13 right now. So take Fresno to cover, in my opinion, because USC still hasn't shown anything uh, yet on their defense. Too early for that. Now let's get into the final game. We have Oregon versus BYU. Or to say it right, it's BYU at Oregon. Correct that. This spread is now at 3.5. Totals 58. I made a play on this early. If you got my tweet, you saw my play I made a couple days ago. I still like it at the three and a half here. I don't care if that Oregon beats Eastern Michigan or Eastern Washington 70-14. I don't care. All I remember is watching them against Georgia and how Bo Nix looked. Now, it's Georgia, of course, but it was still pathetic, and they're playing a very tough BYU team. I think that people are looking at BYU that they went to overtime and won in a game they probably shouldn't have against Baylor, why they should be a dog to this team. But you have to remember that BYU returned a ton of production, and Oregon is completely new, including coach Danny Lanning. Completely new. Oregon went to South Florida. Or sorry, BYU went to South Florida, won by 31 points, and then beat the team that won the Big 12 last year. It's pretty good, so people think maybe it's more of a letdown situation. I don't think so. If you look what BYU did last year, after they beat Utah, they beat ASU. ASU was supposed to be good last year for a while. You know, they kind of ran through all those. Then they had their letdown against South Florida at home, but then they go to Utah State and win and finally lose at home to Boise State. So I don't expect anything this quick. I think they're licking their chops to try to beat this Oregon team that's quite new with a quarterback in Bo Nix that just chokes in the biggest of situations. I, I am not a Bo Nix guy. All right? I am not buying those padded stats against Eastern Washington either. The spread is too big. I think this is going to be another close game. It's going to be kind of like seniority versus pure talent, age versus beauty <laughs> in a way. But I feel comfortable taking any good team against Bo Nix past three points in the hook. I think this spread should be minus two for what Oregon has done so far and for the fact they went through all those changes. BYU plus three and a half for two stars. As to swimming with bow-legged women. All right, my friends, those are my college football plays. BYU plus three and a half, Fresno State plus the 12 and a half, 13, whatever you can get. Over 73 for SMU versus Maryland and Nebraska plus 11 and a half. And now it is time for... The Sharp Side of the Force. The Sharp Side of the Force is brought to you by BetRivers.com. 
For a free bet up to $500, please visit BetRivers and use the promo code ODDS22. Terms, conditions, and location apply. All right, my friends. Let's get into a little sharp college and sharp NFL sides. Starting out with sharp college. As of Wednesday, 9-14-22, sharp money on Nebraska, plus 14.5 down to plus 11, hosting Oklahoma. 42% of the tickets and 70. 70- 67% of the money on Nebraska. Sharp money on Georgia, minus 16 to minus 24.5 at South Carolina, 75% of the tickets and 95% of the money. Sharp money on Miami, plus 8 down to plus 5.5 at Texas A&M, 75% of the tickets and 86% of the money. Sharp money on Fresno State, plus 16.5 down to plus 12.5 at USC, 17% of the tickets and 58% of the money. And sharp money on Ohio, plus 21.5 to Plus 18, 63% of the tickets and 73% of the money. A little bit of buyback there. Sharp totals, Cal versus Notre Dame under 49, down to 41 with that news of the quarterback. 74% of the tickets and 94% of the money. Sharp money on Tulane versus Kansas State under 49, down to 47.5, 46% of the tickets and 79% of the money. Sharp money on Marshall versus Bowling Green under 53.5, down to 51, 57% of the tickets. 99% of the money and sharp money on SMU versus Maryland over 69.5 to 74. 60% of the tickets and 74% of the money now. Uh, sharp money on Michigan State versus Washington over 47.5 to 56.5. 64% of the tickets and 78% of the money. Sharp NFL. Lions plus one to minus 1.5. Hosting the Commanders, 56% of the tickets and 81% of the money. Sharp money on the Raiders, minus 2.5 to minus 6. Hosting the Cardinals, 53% of the tickets, 59% of the money. And some buyback is happening now they hit six. Uh, Sharp money on the Packers. And that went from minus 8.5 to minus 10. Hosting the Bears, 36% of the tickets and 74 percent of the money sharp money on the nfl totals now cowboys versus bengals under 50.5 down to 41 50 percent of the tickets and 83 percent of the money that's the only thing that's really concrete here is the injury with the uh Dak prescott and how that's shot down immediately and sharp money started pounding it down even more all the way till it hit 41 my friends thank you so much for listening to this show if you have any questions for the odds breakers feel free to email us at info at the you can email a question for the monday mailbag or just ask us to break down again i hope everybody enjoys the rest of the weekend enjoy all the games and go get some winners <laughs>